God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Well, we began our study here last week uh, by saying that, that like much of Scripture, and maybe even more here today, that, that this passage is one that is shrouded in divinity. It is shrouded in some form of mystery. As we consider the, the virgin conception, as we consider the, the incarnation there is little doubt that, that we are looking into things that, that the angels longed to see. This is, this is the, the mystery that, that the Bible speaks of that even the heavens long to see happen. These are things that, that defy scientific explanation. These are things that, that go beyond our human reason. And so we said that, that so often when we approach this passage... Uh, our tendency is to kind of want to push back, or really any of these mysterious passages in the Bible. We kind of want to keep them at arm's length because we have this good desire in us as human beings to know, to, to understand. And so when we can't fully wrap our minds around something, which as we can't so often in the Bible, uh, our tendency is to kind of want to, to, to step back. And that's why so many throughout the ages, men and women, have kind of denied the, the truth of scripture they've tried to strip away the the myths as they call it or the miraculous so that they could get down to the truth they just couldn't quite grasp this so, so it couldn't be true now look you know that that I have always said that, that when you walk through those doors you cannot turn your minds off right you have to have your minds engaged because God's word it engages our wills, it engages our emotions, and it also engages our minds. And so we want to think through these things. But, but the simple fact is, is if we read God's word and we never find anything that, that is beyond our understanding, then the God that we read of here is very little more than a man. And if that's the case, then we're in trouble, right? If we don't find something here that goes beyond our reasoning, then, then one, why do I need him? And two, how can he save me from my sins? Well, the answer is, is he can't. We need a God who can part waters. <laughs> we need a God who can stop the sun, a God who can turn water into wine. And most importantly, we need a God who can take hearts of stone and turn them into hearts of flesh. That's a miracle. 
That is that's the only way to describe that. That is a miracle of God that he could do something like that. And so to deny what we have here today is to deny the gospel. It's to deny the truth of who Jesus is. And so we don't hide from this. We don't hide from the miraculous. But we do. We approach it by faith. And that's key. And that's not a throwaway thing. That's not trying to get out of, of what we see here. But that's the reality. We have to approach these stories by faith. Trusting that, that the God that we know, as he says in this passage, is able to do all things. That nothing is impossible with him. And so we began there last week in order to say that that we're going to look at several of the mysteries here in this passage. And the first one that we looked at last week was the mystery of God's chosen servants. Now, I've already taken too much time, and I don't want to re-preach what we've already gone through. But just let me remind you that we said that in choosing Mary, God chose maybe the unlikeliest of people to be the, the mother of the Messiah, right? She's young, she's from a a nowhere town, Nazareth, she's not a queen, she's not rich and famous, she is a virgin, betrothed to a carpenter. From from the world's perspective, there's very little about Mary that that seems worthy of such an honor. There's very little about Mary that, that seems like she is anybody. And yet God did what he so often does, right? He chose the lowly, the elementary things of this world the weak things of this world, in order to accomplish his purposes. And we said that that he does the same thing for us. If he chooses any one of us, first for salvation, but then certainly to work through us, then he is choosing the lowly things. None of us are worthy of it. All of us have sinned against him, and yet it delights him to, to use his people, to accomplish his purposes here in this world. And so we saw that the mystery of God's chosen servants. Well, all of that leads us right into our message this morning. And that the second mystery that I want you to see here in this passage is maybe the biggest mystery of all of Scripture. It's the mystery of the incarnation. The mystery of the incarnation. Now, really, we begin to, to consider these things last week, and I know it's, it's hard to believe this, but I really got ahead of myself as we finished up last week. But you'll remember that we closed our service by saying that not only was God showing us the mystery of the servants that he chooses when he chose Mary, but he was also showing us the kind of Messiah that he was getting ready to, to send into the world. He was showing us that that this Messiah was one that was not going to come riding on a war horse. Uh, He was not going to come to reside in a palace. But he was going to come and reside in the womb of a virgin. From this young girl from Nazareth to live a life of hardship. To be a servant to all. To be rejected by his people and ultimately to go to a cross where he would bear the sins of of all of us, where he would bear the very wrath of God in our place. From the beginning, God was showing us that this was the suffering servant, that he must humble himself before he could be glorified. In order that he might bring salvation, he must become a slave to all. Now, as we consider our verses this morning, that sets up almost... An amazing contrast with the description that Gabriel gives of this Messiah as he speaks to Mary. 
On the one hand, we've seen his humiliation. But now today, we see his unmatchable glory. Look at verse 31 with me. Gabriel is speaking there to Mary and he says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. Now stop right there. You shall call his name Jesus. Jesus. We know that, that for us in our culture, most of the time our names, they don't really have any bearing on who we are or what we'll accomplish in our lives. But here, God is saying definitely and clearly and for everybody to see what this Messiah had come to do. Jesus. It means God saves or the Lord is salvation. Yes, this Messiah would suffer. But he suffers in order that he might bring salvation to the world. Paul says it in 1 Timothy, right? It's a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that that Christ Jesus came into the world to do what? To save sinners. John the Baptist, when he sees him coming, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And in this very book, Jesus is going to say it himself in chapter 19. He says, uh, The Son of Man came to do what? To seek and to save the lost. He came with a purpose. It was to bring redemption. Now look, I know that every single one of us know this truth. Every single one of us have heard this over and over and over again. But my question is, do we really understand it? Jesus didn't come into the world to make our lives easier. Jesus did not come into the world to protect our culture or our way of life. Jesus didn't come to deliver us from every harmful thing that this world has to throw at us, not at least right now. No, he came to do something far greater than all of those things. He came to deliver us from sin. He came to give us the greatest need that we had, freedom. Freedom from the law, freedom from ourselves, freedom from this world, freedom from the sins that that beset us, so that we might cry out, Abba, Father. That's what Jesus came to do. He is not primarily concerned with our ease. He's not primarily concerned with our comfort. He is primarily concerned with our souls. I wonder today, is that what we're looking to Christ for? Maybe you've just wanted him around so that that, that when things are hard, you have somebody you can turn to. And that's okay. He certainly is there for that, but that's not his primary. That's not his primary purpose. Maybe you've just wanted him around so that you could have some some good karma or, or some good luck. That's not what Jesus came to do. He came to bring eternal life. He came to bring a finished salvation to all who would believe. Are you resting in that today? Are you trusting in the name of Jesus? He brings salvation. But secondly, we see here in verse 32 that he will also be great. Now, this is a a direct contrast to what Gabriel says about John the Baptist back in verse 15. You'll remember there he says that John the Baptist will be great before the Lord. 
But notice that, that with Jesus, there's no qualification, right? There, there's, no, uh, no, there's no part on the end of that. He will be great, period. Why? Because while John the Baptist was the forerunner of the Lord, Jesus is the Lord. He is the definition of great. He defines the, the whole concept. Then he goes on to say not only will he be great, but he says he will be the son of the most high. Son of the most high. Here we are confronted by Jesus' divinity, right? He is the eternal one. He has always been. He will always be at the very foundations of the world. Jesus was there. The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, breaks into our world. Thirdly, verses 32 through 33. Let me read those. He says, And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. The Jews, they had longed for a king. One to sit on David's throne as God had promised, right? In 1 Samuel chapter 7. 2 second Samuel chapter 7. Yes, that's right. Sorry. And now here is that rightful heir. That the Lord of David has come, the king of kings, the, the one that David had looked to. He is now here and he will reign forever and ever over the house of Jacob. His is an unshakable kingdom. This is the one that, that Paul says at the top of your bulletin there. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is the King. And friends, if you're resting in him, this is your King. What a joy that is for us this morning. What a joy that is in our world today, where everything seems to be crumbling around us, where everything seems to be falling apart. Our King is unshaken. Our king is still on the throne. And the true kingdom that we are a part of, it's unshakable. It will never fall away. He is on the throne. He reigns even now. Let that give your heart hope today. As you go out, as you leave this place, you bow before the king, the true king. Let that give you hope. And so here, as we move through this, we see Jesus we see that, yes, he is the meek and lowly suffering servant, but that he is also the Savior. He is also the great Son of God who is the eternal King. It makes you think of that passage in Revelation chapter 5, right? You remember John, he, he's there, and the scroll can't be opened by anyone, and so he begins to weep. And the elder comes to him, he says, No, stop crying. Behold, the Lamb of God. No, behold the line of Judah, right? The line of Judah. And he turns, and what does he see? He didn't see a lion. He sees a lamb as if slain. He's both. He is the lion. He is the lamb. Man of sorrows. What a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior, right? It's what we read here as we consider this incarnation, as we consider who Jesus is. Well, it's no wonder, after a proclamation like that, that Mary, in verse 34, she says, 
well, how will this be? Now, again, we're drawn back into to Zachariah's story. I don't know if I've said this, but it's really amazing how Luke intertwines John the Baptist's story and Jesus' story, almost as if he's kind of comparing and contrasting the two, how he's showing us that, yes, John the Baptist is important, but Jesus is far, far greater. And you'll remember back that, that when the angel had appeared to Zechariah, uh, when he told him that Elizabeth would have a child, he said, how will I know this? It's a question of faith. How am I going to know that this is true? Zechariah's faith was, was weak, and I don't mean that critically, because often ours is too. And what the angel was saying to him was, was beyond explanation. But his was a question of faith. I'd submit to you that Mary's is not. Mary's is just an honest question, a question that all of us would ask. How will this be? She knows enough about the birds and the bees to understand that she is a virgin, and she doesn't understand how this is going to happen. And so hers is an honest question. She needs to, to know how this will come about. It's not a question of faith. She believes it, as we're going to see in just a second. It is a question of how. And you see that if you skip down to verses 36 and 37... It says, and behold, Gabriel says to her, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Gabriel gives her the sign that Zechariah had looked for, right? Zechariah wanted a sign to know that this was true, and Gabriel didn't give him one other than shutting his mouth. But here, Gabriel not only assures her, but he also gives her the sign, behold, your cousin is going to bear a child. And so we see that, that this is coming. We, we understand Mary's question. That leaves us with her question. How? How will this happen? Look at verse 35. The angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. J.C. Ryle, in his commentary on this passage, he says, Let us ever regard what we read here with holy reverence and abstain from those unseemly and unprofitable speculations upon which some have unhappily indulged. Enough for us to know that the Word was made flesh and that with the Son of God came into the world, a real body was prepared for him so that he took part of our flesh and blood and was made of a woman. Here we must stop. The manner in which all this was affected is wisely hidden from us. If we attempt to pry beyond this point, we shall, be, we shall but darken counsel by words without knowledge and rush in where angels fear to tread. In a religion which really comes down from heaven, there must needs be mysteries. Of such mysteries in Christianity, the incarnation is one. Now, I read that to you this morning not to get out of preaching this passage, but, and maybe I should, but I read it to you to remind you of the weight of what we address here, of the divinity of what we address here, that this is something that, that we will never be able to get to the bottom of this side of heaven, and maybe ever, that what God does here is a miracle. There's no other way to describe it. It is miraculous. It is beyond our human reasoning. And it's true. <laughs> it's true. 
And I say that this morning because if it's not true, then, then like I said before, then we're in a lot of trouble. In order for Jesus to save us, he had to come and take our place. He had to do what, what we couldn't do. He had to keep the law. In order to die as our representative, he had to be a man. But, in order to save us, he had to be holy. In order to represent us before God, he had to be divine. It was only the blood of the Son of God that could redeem us. Not only did he have to be a man, but he also had to be God. And so here, that happens. The divine crashes into our world. The Holy Spirit comes upon Mary and conceives this child so that he might avoid the original sin of Adam, that, that taint of sin that we are all born with. Jesus does not have that because of this story now. If this is not true, then Jesus is a sinner like all of us. The reality is, is the Holy Spirit conceived him. So he is one person with two natures, a divine and a human nature. Now look, that's mysterious. That's beyond explanation, the hypostatic union. How does that work? I don't know. I cannot stand here and tell you that. It's mysterious, but nothing less than that will redeem us. Let me say that to you again because that's important. If we're going to believe what the Word of God says, and it's a matter of faith, but if we're going to believe it, then this has to be true. It's mysterious, but nothing less than this will redeem us. We are sinners lost. And it takes a man and it takes God to redeem us. And praise the Lord, we have that in Jesus. Philip Ryken, he says this, Fallen humanity could not produce its own Savior. He had to come from somewhere outside by way of divine initiative and intervention. Therefore, God sent Jesus into the world as the perfect Son of God, born without sin. We see the mystery in his person. He's man. He's God. We see the mystery in his work. He is the prophet. He is the priest. And he is the king. He is the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. He is also the lion. You remember that, that scene in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And Susan is talking to Mr. Beaver. And they're talking about Aslan. And Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is, is a lion. And Susan says, oh, he's a lion? I thought he was a man. I think I'd be pretty scared to go stand in front of a lion. Is, is he tame? Mr. Beaver says, no, he's not tame. But he's good. He's the king. He's good and he's the king. That's it. Jesus, he's the lion. He's not a tame lion. He's a lion who can do all things. He's a lion who's coming back to, to, to save his people, to inaugurate his kingdom once and for all, to defeat all of his enemies. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. But he's good. He's good. He's good enough that he broke into our world to save you and to save me. This is the Messiah that we worship. This is the mystery of the Incarnation. 
Well, there's one last point that I want us to see, and if you'll indulge me, I think we can get through it pretty quickly. We've seen the mystery of God's chosen servant. We've seen the mystery of the incarnation. And then thirdly and finally, I want you to see the mystery of faith. The mystery of faith. Look at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The angel departed from her. Now, look, the the incarnation is the biggest mystery that we read in this story. But I would submit to you that what Mary says here is a very, very close second. Rarely do we consider what these words cost Mary, what they had the potential to cost Mary. Think about it. Her reputation was now on the line, right? Who was going to believe a story about an angel? Who who was going to believe that she had not been unfaithful to Joseph? Think about the gossip that was going around Nazareth at that time. She had the potential to lose her husband. Think about Joseph. We know he was a good man, but do we really think that he would marry this, this pregnant girl? We know originally that was his plan, right? Was not to do that. This news could cost her her very future, right? No husband with a child out of wedlock. What what hope did a woman in that society have? Think about Ruth. Think about Naomi, right? They were lost. Well, that that was her future. That's what she was looking to. Not only that, but the law demanded her death. Right? That Deuteronomy, go back. If you were unfaithful, it's death. That's what the law demanded. That's why Joseph is, is determined to put her away quietly, not publicly, because of what the law demanded. Then you have to think about the, the pressure. Parents, think about the pressure of raising the Messiah. <laughs> we think we've got it bad trying to raise two boys and a girl to just be productive citizens, Right? Think about trying to raise the Son of God, the Christ. We're going to read in Luke that he he learned just like the rest of us. He had a human mind. He had to be taught. He had to obey his parents. Think about that kind of pressure. But then you mothers, think about what she must have faced. She didn't know it now, but think about what she must have faced later on as Jesus is rejected. As Jesus goes out and he begins to preach and people hate him, people spit on him. Think about what she must have faced as she stood and watched her son crucified. As she watched the the guards spit on him and, and, and stab him, take his clothes. Think about what she must have endured. And so it seems humanly impossible that anyone could willing to submit to something like this, and yet Mary says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. How? How could she say that? Friends, the, the simple answer is faith. She had faith. Maybe the better answer in light of Ephesians 2.8 You've been saved by grace through faith, and this is not your own doing, but it is the gift of God. Maybe the better answer is that God worked faith in her. God 
overshadowed her by the Holy Spirit to conceive this child, but that same Holy Spirit overshadowed her to give her strength, to give her endurance, to allow her to do what she was going to have to do in bearing the Son of God. Friends, this is the Christian life. What we see here from Mary is the example for all of us on how we should approach God, how we should live by faith. Christ said that any who would follow him must be willing to give up their reputations, their money, their esteem. They must be willing to give up everything. They must take up their cross, that that instrument of torture and death, take it up daily to follow him. How? Again, the answer is faith. It's faith. God works it in us just like he did in Mary. This is he stoops down and he chooses you and he chooses me. He chooses to put his Holy Spirit in our hearts to transform us by that power into the image of his son. And He gives us endurance. As we saw in the book of Hebrews, he gives us hope for each new day. He comforts us when, when we are sad and lonely. He gives us strength each morning, right? His mercies are new each day. The same Holy Spirit that conceived our Savior, He lives in you. He lives in me. And so that means we can face whatever may come. That means we can live by Scripture. We can live by the truth of this, even in the face of a world that does not believe, that does not care, that is going to ridicule us, is going to say, you are crazy. We can live by it. Because the Holy Spirit lives in us. He is in our hearts and he is showing us the truth. Friends, is that the testimony of your heart today? Maybe maybe you need to say it for the first time. Maybe you need to trust in Jesus. Don't delay. Or maybe you need to say like that father whose son had the unclean spirit, I believe, help my unbelief. And friends, the reality is, is that's every one of us. We all need to fall down and cry out to the Lord. We believe. Help our unbelief. Help our unbelief. Give us more faith. Reality is, is His grace. It is there for us. His Spirit will work in us. Friends, wherever you are today, look to this Savior. This Savior who loved us so much that He left the joys of heaven. He left the place at His Father's side to come into this world and be born of a virgin, in a a stable, in a lowly place. This, This Lord of all of creation breaks into our world to redeem us from our sins. Book of Acts gets it right. It says, Believe in this name, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. Are you believing in Jesus today? Are you trusting in that name, the one who can redeem you, the only one who can save you from your sins? Let's pray together. Father, as we close now, as we think about this great Savior, as we think about what you have done for us, Lord, the reality is is our minds cannot conceive it, our minds cannot comprehend it, Lord, our hearts overflow with joy at it. Because as we've said, nothing less than this would redeem us. And Lord, you have done it. You have done everything that needs to be done to save us. You have given us your only son. 
And Lord, we pray that we would bow before him, that we would worship him in spirit and in truth, but Lord, that we would go out into the world. And like Mary, we would say, let it be to us as you have said, that we would not be concerned with our reputations, we would not be concerned with our money, with our pride, with all of those things, but that we would primarily be concerned with your word. We'd be primarily be concerned with what you have said to us. Lord, help us to live by faith. It's not easy to do. And Lord, we do need you to, to work in us. Lord, we know that you are faithful to do that when we ask. When we, when we fall before you, are faithful to work in us over and over again. And so we cry out to you now. We pray that you would forgive our unbelief, that you would hold up before us daily our Savior, that you would work that salvation in us. Lord, you promised to see it through to completion. We praise you and we thank you for that. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our closing hymn is 246, Man of Sorrows, What a Name.